chapter twenty eight part one of the combined maze by may sinclair this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter twenty eight part one thus nineteen seven that dreadful year rolled over into nineteen eight by nineteen ten at the very latest ransome looked to get his divorce he had no doubt that he could do it for he found it far less expensive to live with his mother at wandsworth than with violet at granville he knew exactly where he was he had not to allow so considerably for the unforeseen his income had a margin out of which he saved to make this margin wider he pinched he scraped he went as shabby as he dared he left off smoking he renounced his afternoon cup of tea and reduced the necessary dinner at his a b c shop to his very simplest terms the two years passed by january nineteen ten he had already paid off what he already owed he had not raised the thirty pounds required for his divorce indomitable but somewhat desperate he applied to his uncle randall for a second loan at the same interest he did not conceal from him that divorce was his object he put it to him that his mind was made up unalterably and that since the thing had got to be sooner or later it was better for everybody's sake that it should be sooner but mr randall was inexorable he refused flatly to lend his money for a purpose that he persisted in regarding as iniquitous even if he had not advanced a further sum to young randall's father he was not going to help young randall through the divorce court stirring all that mud again not he you should wash your dirty linen at home he said you mean keep it there and never wash it that's what it comes to said young randall furiously it's been kept and everybody's forgotten that it's there by this time why rake it up again said his uncle randall and there was no making him see why there was no making any of them see mrs ransome wouldn't hear of the divorce it'll kill your father ranny she said and stuck to it and ranny set his mouth hard and said nothing he calculated that if he put by twelve shillings a week for twenty-five weeks that would be fifteen pounds he could borrow the other fifteen in shaftesbury avenue as he had done before and in six months he would be filing his petition as soon as he was ready to file it he would tell winnie he cared for her he would ask her to be his wife he had not told any of them about winnie but they knew they knew and yet they had no pity on him nor yet on her when he thought of it ranny set his face harder yet winnie came and went untroubled and apparently unconscious she was not only allowed to come and go at wandsworth as she had come and gone at granville by right of her enduring competence she was desired and implored to come for if she had and mrs ransome owned it away with the children she had also away with mrs ransome and with mr ransome the hummingbird growing weedier and weaker revived in her presence he relaxed a little of his moroseness and austerity i don't know how it is said ranny's mother but your father takes to her he likes to see her about saturday afternoons and sundays and late evenings in summer were her times so that of necessity she and ranny met not that they pleaded necessity for meeting since his awful enlightenment and maturity ransome had never thought of pleading anything for he did not hold himself accountable to anybody or require anybody to tell him what was decent and what wasn't and winnie was like him 
he couldn't imagine winnie driven to plead she had gone her own way without troubling her head about what people thought of her without thinking very much about herself as long as she was sure he wanted her she would be there where he was he felt rather than knew that she waited for him and would wait for him through interminable years untroubled as to her peace profoundly pure he was not even certain that she was aware that she was waiting and that he waited too in the spring of nineteen ten it looked as if they would not have very long to wait he had measured his resources with such accuracy that by june if all went well he could set about filing his petition and now seeing the thing so near and yet not accomplished ranny's nerve went he began to be afraid childishly and ridiculously afraid of something happening to prevent it he had a clear and precise idea of that something he would die before he could file his petition before he could get his divorce and marry winnie his heart to be sure was better but at any moment it might get worse it might get like his father's it might stop altogether he thought of it as he had never thought of it before he humoured it he never ran he never jumped he never rode uphill on his bicycle he thought twice before hurrying for anything against these things he could protect himself but who could protect him against excitement and worry and anxiety why this fear that he had was itself the worst thing for him imaginable and then worry he had to worry you couldn't look on and see the poor old hummingbird going from bad to worse you couldn't see everybody else worrying about him and not worry too he would go away and forget about it for a time and when he came back again the terrible and intolerable thing was there and at the heart of the trouble there was a still more terrible and intolerable peace it was as if mr ransome had made strange terms with the youth and joy and innocent life that had once roused him to such profound resentment and disgust his vindictive ubiquity had ceased when the spring came he could no longer drag himself up and down stairs his feet and legs were swollen they were like enormous weights attached to his pitifully weedy body his skin had the sallow smoothness the waxen substance that marked the deadly unmistakable progress of his disease he could not always lie down in his bed sometimes he lived day and night motionless in his invalid's chair with his legs propped before him on a footrest he would sit for hours staring at them in lamentable contemplation he could measure his span of life from day to day as the swelling rose or sank on his good days they wheeled him from his bedroom at the back to the front sitting-room and through it all as by some miracle he preserved his air of suffering integrity it was quite plain to ranny that his father could not live long and if he died even in his pity and his grief ranny could not help wondering whether if his father died any time that year it would not make a difference whether it would not perhaps at the last moment prevent his marrying partly in defiance of this fear partly by way of committing himself irretrievably he resolved to speak to winnie he desired to be irretrievably committed so that whatever happened decency alone would prevent him from drawing back though he could not in as many words ask winnie to marry him before he was actually free there were things that could be said and he saw no earthly reason why he should not say them for this purpose he chose in sheer decency one of his father's good days which happened to be a fine warm one in may and a saturday 
he had arranged with winnie beforehand that she should come over as early as possible in the afternoon and stay for tea he now suggested that as this saturday was such a saturday as they might never see again it would be a good plan if they were to go somewhere together where said winnie wherever she liked he said provided it was somewhere where they'd never been before and winnie trying to think of something not too expensive said how about the tram to putney heath putney heath ranny said be blowed well then how about hampton court or kew but he was on to her rot he said you've been there well obviously she was meditating something equally absurd what do you say to windsor but winnie absolutely refused to go to windsor she said there was one place she'd never been to and that was golders hill you could get tea there right oh said ranny we'll go to golders hill and take the children winnie said well no he rather thought he'd leave the kids behind for once oh ranny voice and eyes reproached him you couldn't you may never get a day like this again i know that's why said ranny the kids stanley aged three and dossie aged five understanding perfectly well that they were being thrown over began to cry daddy take me take me sobbed dossie and me stanley positively screamed it i say you know if they're going to howl said ranny you must that's it i mustn't they can't have everything they choose to howl for there said winnie see daddy can't take you if you cry he can't really she had gone perfidious winnie to the drawer where she knew stanley's clean suit was stanley knew it too the children stopped crying as by magic with eyes where pathos and resentment mingled they gazed at their incredible father tears large crystal tears hung on the flame-red crests of their hot cheeks winnie turned before she actually opened the drawer who wants said she to go with daddy me said dossie me said stanley well then give daddy a kiss and ask him nicely then perhaps he'll take you and they did and he had to take them but it was mean it was treacherous of winnie what did you do that for winky he said going over to her where she rummaged in the drawer because she said you promised promised what promised you'd take them promised stanny he should wear his knickers they told me you'd promised and he had i forgot he said they'd never have forgotten she was holding them the ridiculous knickers to the nursery fire it took ten minutes to get stanley into them into the little blue linen knickers he had never worn before and into his tight little white jersey and then there was dossie and her wonderful rig-out the clean white frock and the serge jacket of turquoise blue and the tiny mushroom hat with a white ribbon it took five minutes more to find stanley's hat the little soft hat of white felt in which he was so adorable they found it on ranny's bed and then they started it was a great and immense adventure right away to the other side of london we'll take everything we can said ranny and they did they took the motor bus to earl's court tube station and the tube two tubes they had to take to golders green the adventure began in the first lift where we goin'? the children cried where we goin', daddy we're going down down ever so far down with london on the top of us all the horses winnie worked the excitement up and up all the people all the motor buses on the top of us on top of me and on me cried dossie and on daddy and on winky will it make us dead said stanley 
he was thrilled at the prospect no more alive than ever we shall come rushing out like bunny rabbits into the country on the other side ever so far down into the earth they went with london and then camden town and then hampstead heath a great big high hill right on the top of them and then all of a sudden just as winnie had said they came rushing out more alive than ever into the country into the green fields but there was something wrong with ranny he wasn't like himself he wasn't excited or amused or interested in anything he looked as if he were trying not to hear what winnie was saying to the children he was abstracted he went like a man in a dream he behaved almost as if he wanted to show that he didn't really belong to them of course he did all the proper things he carried his little son he lifted him and dossie in and out of the trains as if they had been parcels labelled fragile with care but he did it like a porter a sulky porter who was tired of lifting things and they might really have been somebody else's glass in china for all he seemed to care ranny was angry he was angry with the little things for being there he was angry with himself for having brought them and with winnie for having made him bring them and he was angry with himself for being angry but he couldn't help it their voices exasperated him the children's voices the high reiterated sing-song where are we goin winnie's voice poignantly soft insufferably patient answering them with all that tender silliness that persistent gentle intolerably gentle tommy-rot for all the time he was saying to himself she doesn't care she doesn't care a hang it's them she cares for it's them she wants it's them she's wanted all the time she's that sort and as he brooded on it hatred of winky who had so fooled him crept into his heart oh daddy dossie shouted with excitement they had emerged into the beautiful open space in front of golder's green station daddy we're bunnies now we'll be dear little baby bunnies you'll be father bunny and monkey'll be mrs mother bun be a bunny daddy perceiving his cruel abstraction dossie entreated and implored be it but daddy refused to be a bunny or anything that was required of him so silent was he and so stern that even winnie saw that there was something wrong she knew by the way he let stanny down from his shoulder to the ground a way which implied that stanny was not so young nor yet so small and helpless as he seemed he could walk stanny felt it he felt it in the jerk that landed him but he didn't care he was far too happy he's a young turk said winnie and he was by his whole manner by the swing of his tiny arms by his tilted roguish smile by his eyes impudent and joyous blue they were like his mother's but clear tilted and curled like ranny's stanny intimated that daddy was sold if he imagined that to walk was not just what stanny wanted and in spite of it he was heartrending pathetic so small he was with all his baby roundness accentuated absurdly by the knickers he's just such another as you ranny winnie said she was uncontrollable such a little man as he is in those knickers damn his knickers said ranny to himself behind his set teeth but he smiled all the same and by the time they had got into the wonderful walled garden of golders hill he had recovered almost completely it was not decent to keep on sulking in a place which had so laid itself out to make you happy where the sunshine flowed round you and soaked into you and warmed you as if you were in a bath the garden enclosed in rose-red walls and green hedges was like a great tank filled with sunshine 
sunshine that was visible palpable audible almost in its intensity sunshine caught and contained and brimming over that quivered and flowed in and around the wallflowers tulips and narcissus that drenched them through and through and covered them like water and was thick with all their scents you walked on golden paths through labyrinths of brilliant flowers through arches tunnels and bowers of green you were netted in sunshine drugged with sweet live smells caged in with blossoms pink and white of the espaliers that clung branch and bud like carved lattice-work flat to the garden wall neither could he well have sulked in the great space outside where the green lawns unrolled and flung themselves generously joyously to the sun or where on the light slope of the field beyond the trees hung out their drooping vans lifted up green roof above green roof sheltering a happy crowd and even if these things in their benignant admonishing reminding beauty had not restored his decency he was bound to soften and unbend when as they were going over the rustic bridge stanny tried to turn himself upside down among the water-lilies and as he captured stanny by a miracle of dexterity just in time he realized as if it had been some new and remarkable discovery that his little son was dear to him by slow stages after many adventures and delays they reached the menagerie on the south side oh daddy daddy look at that funny bird dossie tugged and shouted in a corner of his yard round and round with inconceivable rapidity and an astounding innocence as if he imagined himself alone and unobserved the emu danced like a bird demented on tiptoe absurdly elongated round and round ecstatically deliriously he danced he danced till his legs and his neck were as one high perpendicular pole and his body a mere whorl of feathers spinning round it driven by the flapping of his wings he is making an almighty fool of himself said ranny what does he do it for daddy let's ask the keeper and they asked him he's a emu that's what he is said the keeper that's what he does when he goes courtin only there won't be no courtin for him this time his mate died yesterday and yet he dances winnie said and yet he dances heartless bird said ranny they looked at the emu who went on dancing as if unobserved scandalous i call it ranny said unfeelin perhaps said winnie the poor thing doesn't know perhaps he does know and that's why he's dancin winnie gazed fascinated at the uplifted and ecstatic head i know she said it's his grief it's affected his brain it's nature said the keeper that's what it is nature's wound him up to go and he goes you see whether or no it's the instant in him and the time o year you don't know no more than that but that said winnie makes it all the sadder she was sorry for the emu so bereaved and so deluded dancing his fruitless lamentable dance he is funny isn't he said stanny and they went slowly spinning out their pleasure back to that part of the lawn where there were innumerable little tables covered with pink cloths set out under the trees and seated at the tables innumerable family parties innumerable pairs of lovers pairs of married people pairs of working women and of working girls on holiday all happy for their hour all whispering laughing chattering and drinking tea end of chapter twenty eight part one Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine.